Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. Uh, we are looking forward today, as always, to talking to you about anything you're interested in gardening-related. We'll, we'll limit it like that. <laughs> um, our phone number, if you want to write this down and give us a call, it's 845-5689. If you're outside the, the uh, Bryan College Station area, it's 979-845-5689. 979-845-5689. Eighty-nine, or you can email us at garden success one word at tamu.edu. Garden success at tamu.edu. So let's uh, we'll get started here. We're going to talk about a number of different things today. I want to <clears throat> want to talk a little bit about uh, well, we had some emails. Let's let's take a couple of those. Uh, Greg emailed a picture of a cypress. It looks like a Leyland cypress uh, that has a dead branch in it. So the whole tree is green. Well, the rest of the tree that I see in the picture is green, but this whole branch is turned kind of a, um, a rusty uh, tan brown brownish color. And w what is happening when you see that is if you follow the dead branch down toward where it attaches, uh, to either the trunk or to a living branch, uh, you, there's going to be something going on there. Now, in Leland Cypress, it's probably a canker, a disease uh, that of kills the bark tissues, the living translocative tissues underneath the surface, and so no water can get up there, and the branch just literally turned brown oh, real quickly in the warm season. Uh, and the, the, the problem with Leylands is they're prone to that. And we live in an area that gets quite a bit of rainfall. And so you may get by without any problems at all for a number of years. And then when it starts to hit, if you've got a very large tree and Leylands get very large, uh, then you're going to have kind of an unsightly, um, perhaps lopsided or malformed uh, tree on your hands. Uh, it's, uh, there are fungicides that can be sprayed, but I don't, just don't think that's real practical for someone, you know, with just a, a home um, landscape type plant or maybe one out on a property, uh, just because being able to get good coverage and then having to mix it up and do it on a periodic basis to protect those trees is probably not practical. Now, Leland is also one of the trees, one of the two trees primarily, uh, grown in East Texas as a Christmas tree. Um, 
Virginia pine is the other one, uh, but Leland cypress and some growers are using Leland's as Christmas trees as well. They shear very well. They make that uh, pyramidal form that people are looking for, and they're evergreen, of course. Um, so, you know, if you had a Christmas tree farm, well, you you could afford to go down the rows with a uh, air blast sprayer and and uh, get the trees through that. I don't know that they have to, that they do that, uh, but that that could be done. But a backyard or a property, uh, not really practical. Uh, so what I would do is get up there, this looks like not too large of a tree yet, and prune out the dead areas going as far back as you can uh, to where it joins living tissues. And if it looks like you're literally pruning in the canker area, then I would probably cut back a little further if you could. And you're just going to have to back up and say, what's the tree going to look like if I remove a branch here? Uh, but And then when you prune it, get it out of there. Don't leave it because that is a source of reinfection and inoculum uh, for your tree. So uh, that, I think, is not the best news probably, Greg, but uh, that's, that's what I see. The only other next step you might take is if you wanted to bring a sample from that branch taken all the way down uh, where they can actually see something uh, to the state plant clinic uh, here on campus at a and uh, they, they can, uh, West Campus, uh, they can diagnose it for you. But to bring them the end, the dead end of the branch, is there's not going to be a disease present there. It's going to be down further where it essentially cut off the supply. Uh, so follow the dead all the way down into the living to get that sample. Uh, we had another uh, email come in from uh, Bob uh, about uh, some freeze damage to an oak tree trunk. And is a live oak, and, and one side of the trunk, uh, the bark in a, a long strip up the trunk, looks like two or three feet or more, uh, is, is dead, and the bark is sloughing off. And in the picture, you can see that the tree is trying to callus from the sides of that wound and uh, cover back over. That's what happens when we do a pruning cut or when uh, you know anything damages a tree. The living tissues begin to form a callus and try to to close back over that wound. And in this case, there's a lot of callus growing, and it it's it looks to me to be about over over half. Uh, healed already, and that was from back in the February freeze. And so I would just wait and leave it. Uh, it's a live oak. The wood's pretty tough. It's not going to be rotten in a year or two. And uh, it'll close back over, and, and uh, I think it'll be just fine. I wouldn't worry about it. I asked I ask Bob about, is it on the southwest side of the tree? And he said yes. And I think that's kind of an interesting uh, phenomenon. But um, in fact, sometimes people call and, and describe that, and I say, is it on the southwest side? And there's this pause and silence like, how would you know that? Well, here, here's how. Uh, it, the warmest part of the day is at the end of the day. You know, you get around 4 o'clock, and whether it's winter or summer, that's, that's the warmer part of the day. That's also the time of day that the sun is in the southwestern sky. So in winter, the sun is traveling low. So it's kind of coming in under some of the branches the, to shine directly on that trunk and warm those tissues on the southwest side. Uh, trees can go dormant, uh, they, or they can enter a, a period where they're more cold-hardy. They develop some, some hardiness there. And when it warms up, then those tissues start, uh, think of it as the juices start to flow, and they become very um, 
susceptible to cold. So after a warm day like that, or even a cooler day with the sun, that night it goes down and freezes like our February freeze did. And the rest of the tissues are adequately hardy to make it, but those are not. And so you get freeze damage in a strip up and down the trunk on the southwest side of the tree. It can happen in other areas. It can happen in a, you know, a, a open prune tree to a branch that's exposed to the sun. But uh, that we call it southwest injury. Uh, it's something we deal with in fruit trees and, and uh, certainly happens in landscape trees too. And I've seen it all over the country. I was out in Atlanta not too long ago, walking on the big pathway around the city, and I have a wonderful walkway around the town. And uh, I saw tree after tree after tree that had that damage on the southwest side. These were young trees. They had very thin bark, so it was very easy uh, for for them to warm up and, and suffer that kind of damage. Uh, so no, no fixing it. I guess if you knew it was going to happen, you could put something to kind of shade that side of the tree. Some people wrap stuff around the tree, but we don't. We generally don't recommend that. Well, let's go to the phones, and again, our number is 845-5689, and talk to John. Hello, John. Hey, Skip. Uh, Mary's got uh, a few sweet potatoes that she's got growing in a bottle now, uh, or in bottles, mm-hmm. and they, they've got growth on the top of them, some of them, uh, oh, you know, stand like some of them are two feet long. Some of them are, are shorter. Right. But they're not, not as big as a pencil. I mean, mm-hmm. Pretty skinny. Are those going to be suitable to use to plant? I, I would not. Um, when when they are growing slips for the early summer, late spring, whatever, uh, sweet potato planting, uh, they they're typically laying. Uh, potatoes out in a bed of sand or something and getting really vigorous, strong shoots coming off of them in the sun, and they break those off or cut those off. Uh, They can also harvest them from existing uh, vines somewhere, potato vines. But what we find is that any, um, any shoot that is spindly never will make good potatoes. Uh, it, it may make some swollen roots, but not what you're looking for at the harvest time. Uh, in fact, potatoes, they, there's, there's roots that are, end up being finger-like around a plant, and then there's roots that end up being the swollen storage structures we really are growing them for. And uh, there are several things we do along the way that, that end, where we end up with a bunch of finger-sized sweet potatoes, and you may have seen that before. Uh, so I would not, I wouldn't try to raise my own slips that way. If you wanted to raise slips, buy some sweet potatoes, stick them on their side down in a bed of sand, and get some good vigorous shoots off of them and plant from that. You could certainly do it that way. Okay, that, that's, I think we understand that. Uh, we've got uh, some red mulberry volunteers, uh, uh, and they look pretty good, are, are is there anything wrong with transplanting those? Well, there are a lot of people have different opinions about different kinds of trees, but I find mulberry to be very fast-growing, uh, but very weedy. It's a weedy tree. The birds eat the berries, and they both plant and fertilize with one flick of the tail. So you end up with um, uh, mulberries coming up all around, just like you have uh, poison ivy comes up that same way, and uh, hackberries can come up that same way from, uh, so I, I find them to not necessarily be a long-term desirable tree. 
but there are people who want some mulberries. Uh, we have one behind our house in the neighbor's yard, and uh, I tried to get some mulberries from it, but the mockingbirds beat me to them every day. <laughs> and so any mulberry that got close to being worth picking uh, was long gone by the time I got there. So. All right. What about uh, we have uh, a what is it? It's a real, real thorny blackberry, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's pretty vigorous and it's it's growing well. Uh, okay. Do we just do we should we cut it back now? I mean, way back. Or, so so at this you know? point in the season, uh, I would. It's it's one single plant, or is it a row of plants? It's, it's one single plant. Okay. At this point in the season, if you could just leave it be and not prune it, I would. The only exception to that is if it had a cane that grew not in 2021, but in 2022 and died in 2021, then you get that cane out of there. But the shoots that grew this year, just leave them on that single plant. Uh, and that way you'll get a few blackberries out of it and uh, it'll be a more robust plant so that then later, if you want, you can dig it up and do root cuttings, little pencil-sized root cuttings, and make more of them if you, if you decide you like that berry. Uh, but uh, normally what we do in pruning blackberries is uh, in the winter or late, well, after harvest, uh, rather, not in the winter, excuse me, we, we prune out all of the harvested canes because they're going to die and just become a bramble thicket. And we leave the new canes, and then when they reach about chest high, we pinch the tops off out of them or snip the tops out of them, and that forces them to shoot to provide or grow long side shoots. And those long side shoots will hold our crop. And by pinching them early in the year like that, or right after harvest rather in summer, uh, we end up with a lot more production for that one cane than just a cane that grows on its own. I, I uh, we we had a a thornless blackberry as well, but I, I don't think it made it through the. Uh, mm, okay. But, well, there's some I, there's some good I, ones I out really there. I really like the I like the blackberry, but I hate those thorns. Man. Yeah, and, but there's some really good thornless varieties out there. And they're not going to be really easy to find. Uh, you'd have to ask a local garden center if they could order them for you, or or order a mail order yourself or something. But. Um, the, there are there are two varieties I like, and I've, we've had a listener that uh, was not fond of them. But um, one, oh gosh, what's the prime Primark Freedom P R I M A R K Primark, and that's the Primark means that it's a primacane bearing. In other words, it bears the first year on those shoots, but it also bears the second year. Uh, but we don't have many primacane-bearing blackberries. But most of the time, you're having to wait till the shoot goes through winter to get fruit on it. Not with and what, what was the name of it again? Primark, P-R-I-M-A-R-K. The A-R-K means it was developed in Arkansas by the okay. Extension Service or research up there. Um, and free, the, there's two Primarks uh, that I would grow here. One is Freedom and one is Traveler. Uh, and they're, they're pretty good. Uh, there is a new one called Ponca that I have a plant of, but I haven't had it long enough to know how well it's going to do. That uh, seems to be pretty good. Oh, and there's some others. Uh, there's one called Wachita, like the uh, Native American tribe and the Ozarks. Like, uh, uh, how is it? 
O-A-U-C-H. I'm, I'm misspelling it, but it's, it's Wachita. Doesn't begin with a W, begins with an O. Um, that that's another pretty good one, and I'm probably missing one or two that, that I just can't think of. But the old thornless berries were nothing to write home about, other than that they were thornless. Uh, but the the newer stuff coming out is pretty cool, really okay. nice, really nice, and and I would say worth planting. They're vigorous and and pretty dependable. Okay, well that, that's that's good. We'll probably we may do that. Okay. And if you need a, if you can't find them uh, or a source or nobody locally can order them in for you, uh, just contact me at the extension office or, and let me or, or send me an email and I'll, I'll send you some possible sources. Okay, appreciate it. All right, thank Thanks. you for the call, John. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. Our phone number nine seven nine eight four five five six eight nine or by email at garden success at t a m u. Dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu a moment ago we were just talking about southwest injury to tree trunks and i just wanted to talk a little bit more about some of our trees uh, we've you know we went through the february freeze and we had a lot of plants that we just kept saying wait and see wait and see wait and see and the, with the cycads or sago palms in our yard the the palm trees the true palms that are in our yards, uh, and then even some larger uh, shade trees that had significant damage. What we found is uh, uh, most of the things that we were waiting and watching on came through okay. Some of them had significant bark injury. Uh, the uh, Chinese elms, uh, I've seen some that are fine and some that had significant bark injury. Uh, interestingly enough, Chinese elm normally flakes off bark in little pieces, little patches, which is part of the beauty of the trunks, the, the gray and, and rusty colored patches. Uh, but this year, uh, and I think as in a response to the freeze, it, it was sending off larger sheets of bark, you know, that were maybe uh, 3 sixteenths or eighth of an inch thick. They were a lot thicker than, than normal. And... Um, uh, the, but underneath was living living tissue, so they're, they're going to be fine. But if you see wood, the interior wood, then that's going to have to slowly be closed back over as callus grows in. Now, if that's a narrow spot, maybe the width of your hand, the tree will close it over pretty fast and it'll be fine. The wider it gets, the longer it takes. And if that wood is sitting exposed to the rain and the elements and the microbial activity that decays wood in the, in the forest, uh, then over time you start to get a decay. And then even if it closes, you've got the internal decay there. But uh, if it decays too much, it can't close. The callus just sort of curls under the opening in the tree trunk. Uh, and so you just kind of have to look at your tree, walk around it, and again, a little patch, even the size of the width of your hand, is it, that's okay. Don't worry about it if it's a healthy tree. Uh, but if you got several of those or, or a large portion of that trunk as you go around the trunk uh, has been killed, uh, then that may be one to kind of rethink. Uh, maybe it's time to put a different tree in here. And a good certified arborist can, can uh, advise you uh, more on that. Uh, but that's something I've noticed around town. Some of the live oaks, um, some of the red, I have red oak or two I've seen that just had significant top kill. And, you know, when we go into cold, and of course the February 7 degrees we had, that 
that's unusual and that's rare. At least we hope it is. It has been in the past, uh, very rare. And so we don't base our gardening off of what might happen once every 50 years or something. Uh, but um, the, that, that kind of, of, of cold has taught us a lot about how plants are doing uh, here, how well they adapted they are, how they grow. But it also taught us that, uh, and we knew this already, uh, tree specialists have always known this, but when a tree goes into, into winter, if you've got it in a vigorous state, water and fertilizer and everything, and you're really getting it growing fast, when that cold weather comes, it just isn't hardened off, and it's more likely to suffer cold damage than a tree that had been allowed to harden off naturally. Uh, and that's true of a lot of trees, fruit trees, nut trees, shade trees, and uh, even, uh, you know, like a fig tree, those are, those are somewhat cold susceptible, but uh, we don't want to push that into late season growth. Uh, and so uh, it just is a reminder in how we take care of our trees being as important, if not more important, than the specific species we plant regarding hardiness. Now, certainly you can plant trees that are going to freeze here almost every year, like an avocado tree. But I'm saying in general, uh, we need to be taking good care of them. We don't need to be pruning in the fall, especially the fruit trees. If you prune your peaches in the fall when the leaves start fall off, you, you will end up with flowering uh, being uh, more likely to get frosted the next spring because they bloom a little bit earlier. And we want our peach trees to bloom as late as possible because we want to be past the danger of frost when that happens. So fall pruning, it's not night and day difference, but it, it does make them a little more predisposed to a, a freeze damage in the spring to the blooms. Uh, if you have a citrus tree, you know, the uh, satsuma oranges are fairly hardy. Uh, now, once a tree is established, not a brand new tree or a one-year-old tree sitting out there, but once a satsuma is established, they've we've had cases here in Texas where it's going to go down into the mid-20s and be okay, which is surprising for a citrus, right? Uh, maybe even a little bit lower. I don't want to. I don't want to give you too low of a number because I don't want <laughs> you. I'll, it'll prove me wrong. But if you push that tree into a lot of growth, we've totally changed that game. And so learning to take care of our plants like that and uh, to make sure that they harden off properly is, is really important. And we've had a number of questions on, on trees this year because of the freeze and shrubs. Uh, a lot of the wax leaf ligustrum just never really came back. There are certain places in town where it's fine, but there are some others where you got a few sprouts coming out of the bottom, but the top part is just scraggly looking. I would wait until the end of winter because, again, Pruning is another invigorating activity. When you prune a plant, let's say you pruned something pretty heavily in uh, late October, just to give an example, or, or mid-October, you're going to get a lot of regrowth. And all that regrowth is succulent, tender, and cold-sensitive compared to the plant itself under normal conditions. So wait until the end of winter, and then just cut these things back. Cut them back to healthy uh, healthy new growth. If you got some long, lanky, wild hairs coming out of the bottom there of the shrub, well, just snip the tops off and force them to branch more. Uh, if you think about it, these these tall, upright shoots, uh, these shrubs are always reaching to the sky to get more sunlight. So if you allow shrubs to go unpruned, they become very top-heavy. Uh, the top spreads out, it captures all the sunlight, 
and the interior lower parts of the shrub lose the foliage for lack of sunlight and it is virtually impossible to get good foliage back in there again unless you severely prune them back. Uh, so our goal, uh, the plant's goal is to get light. Our goal is to make a solid hedge of foliage to hide a view or just to be pretty. And so we want to, as the new growth comes up, to snip the top out, shear the top out, uh, you know, maybe cutting it back by a third or so as you go. And then it branches. And then as that starts to go, we cut it again. So what was one shoot becomes two to three shoots. And what was two to three shoots becomes four to six shoots and, and so on. Uh, and it just gets denser and denser. So if you're trying to renovate an old ligustrum shrub that had a lot of coal damage or other species that had the same kind of thing, that's the way to do it. Um, Texas sage, Cenizo, uh, native out in West Texas. You head out I-10 to Uvalde and you get to see a lot of it. Uh, Texas sage uh, can grow over here. It, it not real crazy about all our rainfall, but it'll, it'll grow here if it's taken care of and given good drainage. Uh, that's a plant that does tend to have all its foliage on the outside and especially if you shear it, which is not really a great way to take care of that plant. Um, I like a more natural thinning pruning uh, on the plant. But uh, once it does that, you're not going to get foliage back inside. So if you shear it too much or a branch breaks off, uh, the kids throw a basketball into the shrub and a branch breaks, and now you've got this hole in the shrub. And it's not going to just fix itself inside there. Uh, and it, they get large. Uh, so uh, I have more than once uh, taken one of those back to knee high. And it looks horrible. Uh, close your eyes. Don't go look at it for a few months. Now I actually go out there as it starts to regrow and do the shearing I'm talking about. Shear it periodically. Let it, let it sprout side shoots and then after a little bit, share it again. Uh, and you can have a very tame, uh, appropriately sized shrub out of something that had become very overgrown. So those are just some, some thoughts on some of the cold uh, injuries that we saw and, and some of the pruning and things. So I guess I hope you, you heard in that that we don't want to be pruning. We really don't want to be pruning anything right now. Uh, it, it's just better to wait until spring. Uh, for things like, let's say you have a live oak and it's got a branch that needs to come off. Well, you can, you, you can prune it any time of the year, technically. Uh, if you're going to do more than just a small bit here or there, I would wait until the end of winter for sure. Because the fastest healing time is in the spring. And if we wait till the end of winter, we don't want to invigorate with uh, pruning. Uh, we want it to stay nice and hardy there. But if we wait until that time, it new growth begins and it heals over really fast and it, and it just does well. It's not night and day. It's not a black and white absolute. You cannot prune until February, but uh, January and, and early February uh, is a good time to do a lot of that kind of pruning if you need to do it. Well, our phone number, 845 5689-845-5689 or garden success at tamu.edu. Email us at garden success at tamu.edu. It is awfully quiet out there today. I think we're entering the Christmas season. I can't imagine why everyone is not sitting at their radio uh, wanting to talk gardening right now. I think we have a few more things to do. Uh, I'll probably talk a little bit of holiday stuff here in just a moment. Uh, I want to go back to the um, 
uh, emails, and Evelyn asks, what is the yellow blooming flower uh, out at the gardens at A&M? And by the way, if you have not been to the gardens at A&M, you got to go. You got to see them. If you have, if it's been a couple of months since you've been, you still need to go back out. They're dressed up for the holidays out there. It's a beautiful garden. Uh, lots of exciting new developments to come in, in the years to come. Uh, but but uh, it's a beautiful place and it's decorated up for the holidays. Uh, on weekends, uh, lot 97 uh, is, uh, if it's not a assigned space, it's it's uh, free parking out there. There are paid spots, uh, but they usually stay kind of filled up during the during the week. Uh, but on weekends, you can go out uh, for a visit and see the gardens and walk through. Anyway, back to the question. Uh, Evelyn asked, what is the yellow flower out there? And I talked to Joseph Johnson. Joseph is the, the guy heading up the care of the gardens and, and part of the planning and all the things that go on around there. And uh, Joseph said that that is a sunny beach primrose. Sunny beach is sometimes uh, used as a variety name, uh, but it's uh, primrose is Onothera, and this one is Drummondii. Uh, Onothera Drummondii. And so uh, if, if you get out there before frost, you can see what they look like. They bloom and bloom and bloom all through the season with these big old giant, almost petunia-like yellow blooms. Well, let's go to the phones now, and we're going to talk to Ken. Hello, Ken. Hey, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. I've, I've got a question about what we call Christmas cactus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they're, they're just starting to bloom right now, and um, uh, I, I wish I, I don't have the plant name, but uh, uh -huh. anyway, we've had these a while, and here's my question. How do you take care of these over time? I've noticed that if I get a new one, it'll bloom great the first year, blooms good the second year, and then it starts diminishing, and I'm thinking I either need to to fertilize it in some way or maybe replant it, uh, okay. you know, to invigorate it or something. How do, how do you properly take care of those things? Well, that's a, that's a great question. And it, it is Christmas cactus uh, or Thanksgiving cactus. There are, there are mm -hmm. two different things. The Christmas cactus has a little more of a point on the, on the edges of the leaf. Uh, so uh -huh. the edges of the leaf on those are sort of serrated, right? And uh, right. the uh, the Christmas cactus is going to have uh, uh, a little bit a little bit more of a point. Uh, I think is 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 a better way to put that. But um, and I'm going to check that, make sure I'm saying that right. I may have those thing two things uh, turned around. Uh, but um, I'm sorry, the Thanksgiving cactus is the one that has more of the points, and the Christmas cactus looks a lot alike, but the the edges, the serrated edges, are just not quite as pointed. Uh, to confuse things further, there's an, there's also an Easter cactus that is very rounded on the edges, but they're all they're all basically the same. Uh, and they're you know the the um, uh, plant is a succulent, but it's not a desert plant. Uh, but it it uh, it can grow and it likes moisture, but it definitely doesn't want to be kept too wet. So you want okay. to put it in a big pot, allow it to dry out just a bit, not much, uh, and water it again. It likes a lot of sunlight. And sometimes you see them being grown indoors, but it doesn't want to be in that low of a light unless you just have a really bright indoor spot. Mine spent the summer outside under a arbor 
that was uh, probably about cast about a 50% shade or something like that uh, in a pot and I forgot to water it several times it survived it did just fine and now it's it's already producing buds and getting ready uh, to bloom again the 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 key to the bud setting is the change in day length so oh, okay or actually I'm, I'm technically I should say night length as the period of darkness gets longer all of our fall blooming plants are initiated into blooming uh, so something oh, okay. something like a poinsettia uh, goes th goes mm -hmm. through that uh, the uh, copper canyon daisy and the fall aster and and other things like that the uh, Mexican mint marigold in the herb garden uh, so so what you can do if you wanted to bloom earlier is when you go to work every morning you carry the plant uh, from inside your house outside to set down when you come home from work every day five o'clock let's say you bring the plant inside so you basically tell the plant that daylight begins at uh, eight or seven o'clock in the okay. morning and daylight daylight ends at five o'clock so you're controlling the amount of darkness uh, and that's how we make poinsettias bloom earlier than they naturally would. Uh, but for most people, including myself, I'm not going to get around to doing all that. So yeah. I just leave it outside. It's started to bud now. It's much later than those that you buy in the store. The growers have taken care of that for you. They've gone to the uh -huh. trouble. Um, but they don't carry plants in and out. They just shade the whole greenhouse. Uh, but yeah. anyway. You know, it's interesting to hear you say how, how you take care. Because basically I take mine when spring comes i take them and put them out underneath some cover where it's underneath some yopon and yes. stuff like that yes. so it it gets partial sunlight right. right it doesn't get baked you know yeah exactly <laughs> and, and it's mostly noonday it's kind of on the side of, east side of the house so it doesn't get blasting sun in the yes. afternoon to heat the pot up and cook the roots Exactly, so, exactly. Uh, and so, so yeah, do that. Uh, fertilizing helps in small amounts, you know, don't overdo it, but just continually feed them and encourage growth. I have seen uh, pictures of Christmas cactus that looked like they were four feet across, and you can imagine oh, wow. what a monster that was. Uh, yeah. So they can grow like crazy uh, if you just take care of it. They also, they really like it to be about 65 degrees at night. Uh, and if it gets a little bit cooler, it even helps with the bud set. You know, maybe okay. when, when you, if, if I have a 40 degree night, I'm not leaving it out. But uh, if it's going to be 50 to 55 or so, that's actually good. Uh, and it helps with that initiation. Right. You, you know, and my practice has just been to leave them out there until the buds really set and they look, you know, starting to grow pretty good. Yes. Then I bring it inside, okay. and they open up pretty pretty nicely. So, okay, I was just wondering, if I, you know, particularly about the soil. I may have one where I put some soil that wasn't sandy enough into the pot. No, actually, actually, you can use just good potting soil. Uh, it's a shame we call them cactus because that makes people treat them wrong. <laughs> they're, oh, they're, really? Okay. Yeah, they're they are a succulent, but. Uh, you can use, I have just regular potting soil in mine. If you want to put a little bit of sand in for grit and improving drainage, that's fine. Uh, but uh, they, they, they're really not hard to grow if you give them no. the light they want and then a little bit of nutrient to get, keep them growing and uh, don't let them stay too dry for too long. And just any particular kind of fertilizer, it's just anything, any kind of mix or I just would, a... 
yeah house plant fertilizer type stuff i i think i would just i would just buy one of the soluble products and just use okay. that we're talking about a okay. container grown plant and right we're right. not doing soil tests and all the kind of stuff like out in the garden so i would just use at a very low the lowest label rate one of those soluble products uh when you water it and that way okay. you, you will not burn it but it always has nutrients available Okay. All right. Well, that, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I've been hanging in there, and they, they just seem to diminish over time. So right. I want right. to see if I can uh, have them go a little bit better through this next season. Yeah. Now I would, uh, I would back off on the fertilizing once we get to midsummer or so, uh, mid to late summer. I I don't think it'd be good to fertilize them going into fall. I could be wrong about that, but a lot of times when we're trying okay. to get something to bloom. Uh, and set buds. If we push it into vegetative growth, that can that can be a problem. So that's me giving an educated guess. Uh, okay, I, I, okay. I won't tell you that's a fact. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for for taking my question. All right, Ken. Thank you. Let's go to the phones now and talk to Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Thanks for waiting. Uh, no problem. I just want. Well, one thing I want to make comment, and I have a question. So the comment was, I do have the Primark Freedom, and I do. That is actually my favorite blackberry. Oh, is it? Growth. Area. I actually have some right now giving me berries. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. wow. Okay, cool. Now, what part of the BCS area are you in? Which I'm in Bryan. Oh, in Bryan. Okay, cool. Bryan, yeah. Well, that that is good to know. I, I had a, a fellow that listens uh, tell me that he had had trouble with those two, or one of the two. I can't remember now which one it was. I had but... trouble with the Traveler. The Traveler didn't make it. Okay. Did, but the cold weather? Um, honestly, it's the summer. Oh, okay. It didn't, for some reason, didn't like the heat. And even though I watered, it was in the same line because I had like, it was one row and I had half of them in Freedom and half of them in Traveler. And after the second year, the Traveler just never made it. But the Freedom, I mean, they're huge berries too. I mean, they're not super sweet, but that could be partly weather each year. Yeah. Um, Well, there's a, there's a commercial patch of blackberries down, um, if you head toward Houston and right when you get to Bucky's, it's just north of there, about a mile. And they do well with both Traveler and Freedom, as well as several other varieties of thornless. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love having the thornless. My only problem is trying to keep the Bermuda grass from growing out under you. So my, how much time I mulch, it always seems to creep back. Oh, you. I know, I know. <laughs> that's, that's part of the deal, but that's good. So the to- other question I had, though, it's, and it's always a problem this time of year, and in the summer it goes away, is the stinging nettle. It's like a, like a small one-inch serrated leaf, but, man, it hurts if you touch that with skin. If there's okay. anything, it's in my lawn is the problem. Is, is it a, is it a, um, I say round, not like literally round, like but. Not circle, but like not totally, somewhere between a circle and an oblong. Yeah, okay. There, there are a few nettles that we have like that, and those are broadleaf weeds. Yeah. And so um, is there certain times of year you encounter this one more? This time of year until it gets too hot in the summer. Okay, I, I would I would use a broadleaf weed killer that's post-emergent that kills existing weeds, and some of those are hard on St. Augustine when the temperatures are in the mid 80s and above. But we're kind of past that now. Although yeah, I really don't have St. Augustine. I basically have like Bermuda. Jigs. Oh, Bermuda. Well, it would be fine with that. But those nettles, you, if you catch them when they're small, they're very easy to kill with one of those sprays. Uh, the only alternative is to have a lawn so dense that they don't sprout because the seeds can't get sunlight. Uh, well, the so, problem is they come up in my garden, too. So, oh, okay. 
<laughs> yeah, that sounds like you need gloves in the garden, but uh, or a hoe. Uh, but I I would I would try to catch them when they're younger. Once they hit a stage where they're blooming or setting seeds, it's a little too late to control with those products. Yeah, I didn't didn't get a chance to mulch my summer tomatoes, and so they're still producing now. Mm-hmm. But now I got this nettle growing up underneath, and I can't just use the weed. Yeah, and the plants are kind of overgrown to try to get to it. But yeah, I tried using Roundup; it didn't really. It. Oh, really? That's a surprise. Wow. Well, you know nature wins, right? Well, yeah, I know. I, ca- I wish it wasn't on this particular thing. I'm just like... We carve out and create what we consider Eden, where plants are in rows and everything's aesthetically arranged. Uh, but then nature just does what it does. It okay. detests bare soil. Wherever sunlight hits the soil, nature plants a weed. And I know I'm a little behind this year... Um, planting a peach tree i had a peach tree i lost some kind of weevil problem something mm-hmm. bur- burrowed into it i mean is it too late to do peaches or can i do it in the winter if i find you some? can i would do it now rather than the winter okay. and and this is going to be hard to do but if you buy them now they're coming in a container where they grew right and the roots are going to be wrapped up in that container and i would i would cut them in three places so think of the container the cylinder of soil that you've pulled out of the container with the roots Mm-hmm. vertically down in three places. I use a box cutter knife, but if the root's big enough, you may need to use hand printers. I know it just seems like, oh my gosh, how can I do that? But it helps. They will pro- uh, produce a lot of new roots from the base of that cut, and they will venture out into the soil and establish much better th- than if you don't prune them before you put them out. So don't be afraid to prune them. Do them now. Now in winter time, uh, the bare root, trees arrive in some garden centers and then that would be a january to february type thing i would do it as early as possible in that time so i would do it in january rather than in february but you still can in february uh and and you can bare root is a little less expensive per plant um it's only one plant so i'm not too worried about that it's just okay. I, the last one the one i had the weevil from was a la felicia and I just, I couldn't stand the, the fruit was horrible. It kept on double fruiting on me. And I was just like, okay. So it I wasn't can, really like heartbroken that it okay. died. <laughs> you said it was double fruiting? Yeah, it had like two, almost, two, a lot of them had like almost like a second little one attached to the main one. Yeah, well, La Feliciana was developed in Louisiana. So you can blame the Cajuns for that one. But no, actually, okay, that's a, that's actually a good peach. Um, the the um, And it's good for our region, our amount of chilling. The, the reason they double, some, some varieties are more prone to that, but any kind of a stress late in the season, like late season drought stress, when they're setting their buds, I would say late season, late summer drought stress, in the summer, late summer and fall, early fall, they're, they're forming those buds that'll be next year's fruit. And if the tree is drought stressed at that time, you get a lot more doubles, those little twin peaches. My other ones never have the problem. I can't remember the varieties off the top of my head i have like i always plant for three or four different varieties for here because you never know what kind of winter you're going to get yeah um, yeah so. well there's a lot of new ones uh that dr Byrne at the texas a&m peach breeding program uh has has created they're on the market now uh, uh just just a lot of you can go google out there or, or uh go I was to the, like text prints and things like that i think i was kind of looking at text text prints is an older one uh-huh text okay. prints text royal and text star yeah. are all older peaches uh, they're good, you know, they're fine, but they each have their, like any plant, they each have their pros right. and cons. But uh, the new ones uh, have, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember, some of them are, are nectarines, some of them are peaches, 
there's some of them are white flesh, some are yellow flesh. But if you go to the Aggie Horticulture website, uh, somewhere on the page there, uh, there's a fruit section, and then you can learn more about some of the new releases. Okay, can I ask you one more quick question? Because someone asked me, and I don't know why. Yes. Do apricots just not grow here? Because they never see apricots. Apricots are a roll of the dice. Uh, the trees will grow here, but we typically get them, they bloom too early and they get frosted, so you very seldom get a crop. They are self-fruitful, so you don't need two, but uh, occasionally, and there are a few varieties that people say, well, this is a little better at, at producing fruit, um, but I would say, unless you just have a big property and want to have apricots every seven years or something, um, I, I would not waste the space on an on an apricot. You better off trying an apple versus an apricot then. I think so. <laughs> or like the like the fella said, take the money that you would have spent on those fruit trees and and go to Las Vegas. Either way, you end up broke, but at least that way you have a good memory of a good time. Fair enough. <laughs> Thank you for your time, Skip. <laughs> All right, Stacy. Thanks for the call. Uh, back to the phones. Uh, by the way, our number is 845-5689, and we're going to talk to Hector. Hello, Hector, and thank you for waiting. Hey, Skip. I got one question. Yes. All right. Uh, so I'm a relatively new plant parent, and um, I have a Monstera Deliciosa that I've had for almost a year now. Okay. And I think it's growing its second aerial root. Um, but the second one is growing really fast, and I heard that if you put a water source underneath that root, it'll start growing exponentially. Um, but now it's like the aerial root is growing like too far, like to the side, to the edge of the pot. So I'm kind of wondering, what can I do with this aerial root? Can I cut it? Do I let it hit yeah. the soil? Or you, yeah, you can cut it. You can kind of bend the the vining growth so that that node is still inside the pot, so the root can go down yeah. there kind of pin it there uh, but it either way it's fine or uh, if you want to make another one you could cut it off just between the plant and that root and then the the end of the shoot could be potted up and you could start a new plant that way oh that's awesome i didn't you know did not even know that so thank yeah. you yeah sure yeah all of those all of those vining house plants like pothos ivy and uh, philodendrons uh, they they have a little section with nothing happening, and then there's a node with a leaf and a root and a bud. And so with if you just get that node with the leaf, the root, and the bud is there, out of the base of that leaf where it attaches will come a new shoot once it's rooted down and doing pretty well. I would put it in a pot and put some kind of a clear bag over the top, you know, a dry cleaner bag or something much, much smaller than that would be fine. Just something to kind of create a, a humid chamber. So until that root really is going well, the leaf isn't starving for water. You know what I'm saying? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So All right. You, yeah. You make a, those things uh, became real popular during the pandemic. Um, and uh, oh, yeah. they were somewhat pricey. <laughs> I still mm -hmm. are. <laughs> yeah, I got a really small one, and it's grown a lot. And I just had no idea what to do with this aerial root. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Now, is yours... Is yours a larger leaf type, or is it a smaller? Is the leaf more like the size of your hand, or is it? Or are they getting bigger than that? Uh, right now, yeah, they're about the size of my hand, and they're getting bigger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it's really small. Yeah. yeah. Have fun. House plants are a blast, and and there's a yeah. lot of new ones. I know. I was out at uh, at the. Uh, um, 
farm patch the other day talking to them uh, uh, you know at garden centers we go through these cycles and once the christmas stuff gets out here come the house plants back in and and because it's still winter yeah. and people are inside and and they have some really cool stuff out there uh, as do as do other places uh, but uh, it's it's uh, always interesting to find a new house plant you don't have Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy that I started planting over the pandemic. <laughs> yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. that's right. There's a lot of memes about people that have uh, kind of gone nuts on the houseplants. So. Oh, yeah, I've definitely seen those. All right. Well, Hector, thank you so much for the call. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Bye-bye. Take, take care. Bye-bye. Our number, we've got time for another call or two, maybe. Uh, it's 845-5689, 845-5689. or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Carol emails that recently she saw several orchids planted with the roots in water. Uh, it was in a place that didn't really deal in plants. In other words, plants were some sideline. Uh, she tried it but wondered if it was successful as planting in soil. And I'm glad you asked that question, Carol. Um, there is a thing online now about people going crazy over rooting plants in water. You can buy little bottles that have a bulb on the bottom that are across this wire hanging there. And you stick all your cuttings, one in each bottle, and then it grows these roots in the bottle. And yes, plants will root in water. But the oxygenation of the water is different than like in the soil, and a different kind of root forms. Roots in water are typically thin and lanky, um, and roots in soil are, are, are not that way. Uh, it is better for a plant to root it in soil or in a soilless medium like perlite or vermiculite, maybe with some peat or maybe not, uh, but where it has good aeration but still good moisture. It's much better to root a plant in that than it is to root it in water. And and I know this is right because if you look at the, the, the industry, people who are growing plants from cuttings for a living, they're not growing them in water. They're not rooting them in water. They're rooting them in some type of a medium that's that's aerated and and so uh, can you root in water absolutely you can so could they put an orchid where the roots were in water uh, no, I'm a little surprised that the orchids even putting up with that at all uh, I they need good drainage and if you want to kill an orchid just overwater it that's why you know they're terrestrial plants they grow in a tree trunk on in the jungle and and so uh, it drains away they love moisture but they don't want to be in the ground. They're not uh, terrestrial plants. Uh, they they live um, uh, on the on the sides of trunks and places like that. So when we pot them up, we pot them up in bark chips and and substance like moss and substances like that, where it stays moist and humid, but it's very well aerated. So uh, I'm I don't know. I'm surprised. I have not seen that. Maybe other people have, but uh, no, don't do it in water. And if you have other plants, I'm kind of expanding your question here, Carol, but anyone listening, if you have other plants you want to root, you know, Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, there, all, all these kinds of places, you see all the, the weird and cool stuff that people are doing, and it doesn't mean that it's a horticulturally good practice. And so that would be the case with these. If you want to root plants, there are some great ways to root plants. And, and once you learn to root plants from cuttings, oh my gosh, the world is your oyster, or the world is your monstera, I should say, since we were just talking about monstera. Um, the, the, um, the, 
ability to start new plants from plants you have. Uh, you know, a friend has, uh, we were talking about Christmas cactus a while ago. So your friend has a Christmas cactus and, you know, they let you break a little branch off of it and take it home. And you, next thing you know, you have a Christmas cactus uh, just by learning to root those things. So that's kind of fun stuff. I encourage, uh, encourage you to do that. Thank you, uh, Carol, for that, for that question. Okay, let's see. Uh, David uh, emails. And uh, David has uh, some mustard greens. Uh, David's mustard greens are getting uh, eaten. There's some critters that are, are eating holes uh, in the mustard itself. And I am trying to get uh, the video to play here for me so I can see what they are. Sorry about that. Uh, while I'm trying to get that thing to boot up uh, so we can identify them. Here we go. Okay, so the, the mustard greens are being eaten by little beetles, and you can't find the beetles because they are very shy and they hide from you. And if you've tried to grow mustard before or other greens, you probably have seen a lot of holes in plants. If it's a blue leaf vegetable like broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, it's probably a little caterpillar, uh, an inchworm type caterpillar um, called a looper, a cabbage looper. Uh, and so those, you turn the leaves over, they're the same color as the leaf, so you got to kind of look, but they're there. You can find them and smash them, or you can spray it with BT. For the other greens, like mustard and, and certain other kinds of greens, uh, if you're growing, um, let's see, radish and turnips and things, and you're getting holes in those, it's most often a little beetle. Uh, you, you'll have a hard time finding them, uh, but I, you can spray for them, and... You know, it, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Uh, if you use the, a label spray at the proper rate and you follow the instructions on days to harvest and all that, uh, it, is, it is relatively safe to do that. But um, I, when I'm thinking about coating all of the leaf of something I'm about to eat out of my garden with a spray, I just, it just it doesn't appeal to me to do it that way. I don't want to I don't want to come across as, you know, any pesticide out there you use is going to kill you kinds of things. That's not true at all. But it, it, a lot of people prefer to garden organically, and even those that don't or uh, don't care that much, uh, that when, when you can avoid having to spray, it's a good thing. So what I do with my greens is when I'm going to plant them, uh, I you know, prepare the soil, do the seeds, and then put little PVC hoops uh, you know, stick them in the ground, bend them over and stick them back in the ground on the other side of the bed and cover it with a light row cover fabric, a very lightweight, super lightweight, so the sun shines through. And what that does is it creates a screen porch and anything that comes along, maybe it's a, a cabbage looper moth that wants to lay eggs uh, or a beetle that wants to lay eggs, they can't get to your plants. And so you lift up the sides when it's time to harvest and put the side back down. And so you're growing them in a well-lighted screen porch. Uh, that's the best way to grow these things. But there are insecticides that will kill beetles. Uh, it just, I find it to be more of a challenge. And usually, and in the case uh, of these uh, that I see, David, the, there's a lot of leaf uh, starting to be eaten up. Now, for the non-squeamish among you, you can ignore the holes. That's just, a, you know, the, the 
wash the greens well, and if, if there were a bug on them, wash it off uh, and eat it anyway. Just because a bug went through there and ate a hole in the leaf doesn't mean that leaf is inedible by any means. So don't be squeamish like that. Uh, uh, get in, get out, and, and if plants have holes in them, that's just fine. Uh, the, you can still you can still harvest them. At least I should say up to a point. You know, I can I recognize that when it's Swiss cheese, it's a little little hard to get much out of it. Uh, let's see. I want to go back to the to the um, emails one more time. Oh, an article uh, has been circling about a study in Houston on trees. I believe it was done by Rice University. Some folks connected with Rice University, and typically the the um, headline will say something like super trees in Houston or something like that. And they studied a bunch of different trees and they looked at different aspects of, of those trees, different um, uh, pro or con type of aspects. But one of the things they looked at is their ability to take uh, particulates out of the air and that could be dust and smog and particles and things that, that it, it, the tree is able to to sort of uh, filter or, or to capture, maybe it lands on the leaf and kind of gets stuck or whatever. Uh, and also some of the um, chemical substances that that they can help uh, filter out of the air. And it's not a night and day difference, but they do provide that service and it's a significant service. But the article goes on to promote sycamore and live oak as being the two trees, I believe those were the two, that they found to be the most beneficial. Well, there, there are a lot of reasons to plant trees. Uh, there's aesthetics. There's the heat island effect in big cities, uh, the cooling effect, uh, the, the blooms, or, or um, all kinds of things. Uh, the benefit to the air, the benefit to aesthetics and our mental well-being and all that, those are all good. Uh, but there's also reasons to not plant trees. Houston is a, is a live oak forest already. Now, I'm not saying don't plant a live oak there, but plant something else. There's other reasons to plant trees. Sycamore is a great tree, does okay. If you're going to plant one, I would choose a Mexican sycamore. Um, over than just the typical one you see around. And I uh, just realized that uh, lace bugs are going to be a problem in late summer and they're going to turn your green leaves kind of bronze or white. Uh, and so that's going to be a pest you have to deal with because sycamores are very prone uh, to that pest. Uh, so uh, lots of pros and cons to any plant. But I see an article like that. Number one, I'm excited because people are promoting planting trees. And then number two, I think of the yeah buts uh, that are involved in it. And so if you want to plant a tree, uh, call the extension office. Let us give you the pros and cons of a number of different ones that will do where, well here in the Brazos Valley. Hey, thanks for listening, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. 
Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.